The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's great to see such an enormous uh, crowd. Uh, my name is Ellen Kirschman, and the first thing that I would like to do tonight is to uh, recognize the people that have put on this uh, terrific event tonight. So would you, uh, Sally Confer and Kim Grows Moore, wave at us, please? Okay. They were, they were both the inspiration and the uh, master coordinators. Takes a lot to put on an event like this. Our food was uh, Jennifer Escobedo. Jessica. So sorry. So sorry. Assisted by Bill Castoro. <laughs> and then outreach is Sue Bachman, who's sitting behind me. Tovis Page. Are you here? Okay, Elvis. Lydia Ridgeway. Hi, Lydia. And Natasha Bruckner. Ah, good. Thank you. And we have a videographer this evening, and that is Brian Thomas, and then... Over here is Hillary Borison, who does absolutely everything. <laughs> so before we get started this evening, I have a confession to make. When, I, when you came here, Jacques, the first time, how many years ago was that? Well, to present this program, the GRIP program. Well, the first time I heard you was probably about four, three, four years ago. And I have to tell you, I was really skeptical. I said, you know, you guys are going to have to prove this to me some way. And probably the reason for that is that I have spent the last 30 years of my life as a police psychologist. My job is to help cops and some other first responders who are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of things that have happened to them at work. So, one of the things that really interested me as I began to follow the program, watch your video, read the things that I got online, was the way that you went about dealing with um, your people in the program. Because when we take cops away, one of the things that we know that gives trauma a, and excuse my expression, a grip on them that won't let go is early childhood trauma. It's abuse, it's helplessness, it's being abandoned, and it's being alone. And then when they encounter a trauma later on in their lives, we've got to make them sit in the fire the same way that you did in order to help them. So I know firsthand what kind of guts it took you guys to sit in the fire, because I see it, and I know it works. So thank you. So just to show how much the work that you're doing has an effect way beyond the walls of San Quentin, I would like to ask anybody in the room tonight 
who uh, volunteers in or works in a jail or a prison, either now or in the past. Would you stand up? Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And just, if you would stay standing, please. If you've ever visited the GRIP program in San Quentin or been to a program anywhere else in a prison, please stand up and stay standing. Okay. If you've been in jail or have a family member who's in prison, please stand up. If you were inspired to come here tonight after hearing Jacques and some of the GRIP graduates speak here at IMC before, please stand up. If you came because you simply knew somebody else who was inspired by Jacques, <laughs> please stand up. If you came here because there's free food. <laughs> so I, Jacques, I just want you and all of the graduates to look at this room and to see the ripples and the effect and the legacy of the work that you're doing. So thank you all for doing that. And without any further ado, we're going to see a video about the GRIP program. We go retaliate and go do something on their side. Now this is the time when you just sitting here and I'm doing it in a healthy way. I'm sitting here and I'm going through the anger. I'm going through the hurt. I'm going through the good times, laughing about the good memories that I had of them. And I'm not just stuck in that one gear. And if it wasn't for this group, I don't think that I would be able to sit back and respond healthily like this. And that's that emotional intelligence. That's being able to track exactly what I'm feeling. That's learning how to sit in that fire and not just go react to something every time you get hurt. To me, it was with the, that's, like I say, it's big. I've been spending on the wheel of cause and effect, searching for original pain. I'm feeling shame and regrets when it surfaces, wonder what the purpose is. I would never know how many people have been hurt from this. 
something I committed out of anger. Coulda, shoulda, woulda, thinking how I could have handled the situation better. I see plenty, plenty in the rearview mirror. Hindsight 2020. I feel that uh, the change that I'm making is genuine. I mean, I wanted to change way back then, but I really didn't know how. I was still lying about my commitment offense. I was saying that I was confronted in a liquor store by a gang member. I went outside the liquor store. He followed me outside the liquor store and uh, pulled a weapon out. You know, a struggle ensued for possession of the weapon, and I shot him. You know, that was that was my, my legal defense. You know, so I've been living that lie for, for years now. And, uh, you know, but when I got here and I started participating in some of the groups, you know, I, re I started to realize what accountability was about. And then I would be seeing guys, you know, holding their truth. People like Robin, you know, and, and, and Kyrie and Troy. I would see these guys. And so they inspired me. They let me know, okay, if these guys can change, then I know that I can change. You know, in terms of, in terms of being open and honest, you know, about the things I've done. Stay strong, bro. You got that. Your yeah. change is evident, bro. Right on. Stronger man to me. That's right. Stand in the truth, man. Yeah. Stand in the truth. Without a doubt. Thank All right. You. We're coming in here because we get to remind each other, welcome each other back in who we really are. Because when we committed a crime, we forgot. We forgot who we really are. And so you cannot forget that again. On December 7th, 1994, uh, I murdered a woman named Christy Anderson. She uh, is the mother of my now 20-year-old daughter. On Thanksgiving, I saw my daughter for the first time uh, in 19 years since I've been in prison. For me, one of my biggest problems was my anger and violent and aggressive outbursts. My mother sent me to live with my father when I was nine, and my father used to beat me like I was a grown man. And I think without a program like GRIP, I wouldn't have been able to receive a visit and be open to everything that uh, my daughter Katie had to say to me on Thanksgiving. Uh, the fact that Someone who I felt I harmed the most in this world could tell me that they forgive me for what I did. If one of you is working, you're all doing your work because we all have skeletons in the closet. We all have hurt people. And it's coming clean with that that is a big part of reclaiming who we truly are. So close it, I want to honor the earth, the air, the water, the fire. And I want to say a prayer for our ancestors. And all of you here today and the work that you're doing and how it will resonate, not only here in San Quentin in this community, but throughout the world.
So, uh, Troy, could you uh, enlighten us as to what's different here? I'm still breathing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, last week I went to the board and I was found suitable uh, for release. So um, <clears throat> it's pretty special that uh, here at IMC we have a chance to honor, honor and celebrate the work of Jacques and the GRIP program and the graduates of the GRIP program. Um, those of you who don't know, um, Jacques was just innocently went to a Monday night teaching by Jack Cornfield 20 years ago, and Jacques innocently asked, anybody want to teach meditation in San Quentin? And Jacques innocently raised his hand. together with another group, uh, a group of people, and they started going in, and Jacques was the last man standing, and he's still standing, still doing it 20 years later, and and, uh, not only is he doing it, but he's uh, created uh, dynamic, powerful programs, multiple kinds of programs within the prison that's now spreading to different prisons, and he's training people to be able to teach this. And the men that are sitting here have been trained by Jacques to be able to go into the prisons now that they've been released to go back in and uh, in order to offer to the next generation of prisoners. And so it goes. And he's trained some people here who have, uh, haven't been, in, you know, what do you say? Uh, they've been in prison, but they haven't been in prison. <laughs> they go home at night. <laughs> and, uh, and also going in and doing the work. Uh, I've had the good fortune of going down there to San Quentin for about every year for the last 12, 12 or so years. I bring the chaplains that I'm training, and um, and I get to see uh, Jock's programs. And every time I leave, I feel deeply inspired. I feel like that uh, for for this programs for Jacques to come out of the Insight Meditation Movement is one of the proudest things the Insight Meditation Movement has done in America. I think it's phenomenal that uh, what he's managed to do and what he's been able to touch. And part of the reason I'm so inspired by this is the transformation these men go through. Um, if, uh, you know, if, if, I, if I had half the success rate here at IMC as Jacques does in St. Quentin, <laughs> one-tenth of the success rate, <laughs> you know, it, it would be a whole different world. But, uh, and, but in the context of the prison... Uh, the need and the power and the, and the suffering that's being addressed is so acute and so concentrated that it uh, creates the energy and the conditions for a transformation that goes really far. And the graduates of the GRIP program, when they graduate, they're committing themselves, committing their lives to a life of nonviolence, to be agents for peace. And, uh, and uh, so they're not just trying to get paroled, they're actually trying to change the world for a be- to be a better place. This is the election season, and uh, we have many things we can vote for, and my vote goes with these guys here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Because these men are bringing compassion into the world. They have done the hard, hard work to discover that compassion in themselves. And, um, and then coming, coming, doing that work and coming out compassionate people who want to serve and help other people is helping make this, if you allow me to say this, the, the, trying to make this country into the United States of compassion. Mm-hmm. That's what we all need to try to contribute to make. It's a possibility to transform the society. So compassion, empathy, and caring become kind of the rally call that we all uh, give our life to. And here we an example of people have done it. And in situations that many people would say is impossible or too difficult, or to people who, some people would say, don't deserve it. And um, some people who kind of, to people who society will often shun and push away and ignore. I don't know if you know it, but there's 165,000 men in the state prisons. The second, bus- uh, second biggest police department in the country is the California Corrections Department in terms of the number of people who work there. It's a huge, huge community of people who are mostly uh, forgotten, mostly ignored by the rest of us. But they are us, and we're them. We're all kind of in it together. And we want to try to make a community for all of us where we care for each other, support each other, and help each other grow and change. And I know that I've been transformed myself by coming into this in Quinton with Jacques and these men these many years. And last year, uh, I was able to bring my 18-year-old son in with me. And uh, it was kind of mind-blowing for him, or heart-expanding for him to be there and to be in the middle of this, uh, the GRIP program and to see, uh, to sit and talk to men who uh, had done some of the horrendous crimes that people go to St. Quentin for and sit next to them and feel like these people have been changed, that you trust them, you know, rather than feeling afraid of people who have been killers. These are people who have done their work and palpable in their heart, you can feel these are good people. These are people who I'd feel completely safe with in any circumstance. I, I trust them. And to, you know, to feel that and sense that and to bring that to my son and my son see it is quite a remarkable experience. And I'm very grateful for what, um, you know, the example that's given. I tried for years to raise my son to try to teach him a little bit of Dharma. I wished I could do it. And uh, I, I feel like I was probably pretty unsuccessful because I was the father. But um, slipping him into San Quentin, <laughs> you know, made up for all my failures. <laughs> and uh, what he saw there about mindfulness and sitting in the fire was quite phenomenal. So one of the things that he saw and I saw, uh, we had a room of about 27 men. And uh, each of them went around and talked about what uh, they call the original pain, the kind of the original source of suffering that was the kind of the trigger for them to do violence, do crime, that brought them into prison. The kind of original pain that um, they didn't want to face, some of them maybe didn't want to recognize, but is there kind of churning away and, uh, and a cause for lots and lots of uh, further suffering in the world. So they went around, each of them talked about the original pain. And uh, as Alan said, what was remarkable was that I think just about every single one of them, it had to do with their fathers. And uh, their fathers died, their fathers uh, abused people in their family violently, 
um, abused them as kids violently. It was just like horrendous stories of uh, father and son and how that conditions people and uh, sets them up for a life of very, very hard to figure out, very hard to kind of get through life when you have so much pain that you don't want to feel. And, uh, and to have them talk about it in the open and then know how to sit in the fire and come out the other end, compassionate people, can people with tremendous commitment to be able to track themselves, watch themselves, not give in to the impulses, but to be committed to, uh, to peace in this world is one of the best examples we have that I've seen in a long time. And to be able to do that, offer this gift to my son, was, a f- you know, was one of the, you know, a dream come true for me. And, uh, and so this is all a way of saying that th- what these people do is some of the best things I've seen in this world. And I'm so glad every time that Jock comes down here, you usually come with some of your paroled inmates. And I'm so proud that you're here. It's, I think it's one of the best things that go on here, that we could show this to the world and be here. And so for us to have this uh, award ceremony uh, is uh, really a way of celebrating and appreciating and honoring and expressing our you know, heartfelt thanks to all of you for what you've done and what you're committed to doing now. Uh, and I, I hope that uh, you're able to continue this for decades, to centuries to come, until we no longer need it. And, uh, and uh, because these are people who are agents of change, to change our world. And it spreads out from them, out further and further out into the world, their example and what they do. So we're here to honor them and offer them the second annual Karuna Award. And we have this wonderful certificate. Uh, Karuna is a uh, Buddhist word for, for compassion, so it's a compassion award. And, um, and it's for uh, uh, Jacques Verdun and the inmates of the San Quentin uh, GRIP program. And, um, and also, this is meant to be a fundraiser for them as well, because that's one way to both express our appreciation. It's also one of the ways to vote on election week. And, uh, and uh, we've already raised over $4,000. Uh, there's a $3,000 matching grant from Inside World Aid and from other places. And so um, I hope that this is something that inspires you because to be able to get this program into new prisons is the goal. Uh, Jacques has the air of the wardens. He's been doing this long enough that uh, he knows the wardens and can call them up on the phone. And they listen to him now. And, uh, which they didn't do 20 years ago, right? <laughs> Something, some of them didn't even then. And, um, and they're very interested in this program because they see how much these men are changing. And the men themselves in prison that know about it are eager to join this program. I, I was told that there are 500 men in San Quentin on your waiting list who are trying to, trying to get into this year-long program. And uh, this last year, they had 270 men go through the program in three different state prisons. And so they're trying to now, there's opportunities to, the doors are open in many of the prisons. The wardens know Jacques, they wanted to come uh, into, the, into the prisons. We have the opportunity to really kind of spread this in a big way. And, uh, and one of the exciting things about what uh, they're doing is that Jacques has trained all these people who uh, 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 got through the program to be facilitators for his program. And so they're going in now as paroled inmates, they're getting permission, kind of unusual to get permission to come in, 
But Jock goes and talks to those wardens. And he says, this is the deal. If you want the program, you have to let these men back in to teach it. And, uh, and so they come in, and it's the people who went through the program in prison who are some of the people now teaching it. So also some people, like uh, Kim, is starting to do it in one or two prisons. One prison, she's been teaching it under the guidance of Jacques. And um, so we would like to see this spread to more prisons. What requires, though, is money. Because uh, Jacques needs to uh, hire staff to run these programs. He needs to pay the facilitators so they can go in. Like Kim does it as a volunteer. But uh, the men who've come out of prison, they can't be volunteers. They can't afford it. And so what we're looking for is ways of giving them uh, right livelihood so they can thrive in our society in doing this good work. So um, there's many ways of voting. And uh, one way is with your donations. Another way is with your goodwill. Another way is, uh, is to spread the word of this fantastic program that uh, Inside Out is doing. If you want to make a donation today and you want to make it to um, uh, a check, uh, that the organization, it says there on the Donna box, but the organization to uh, write it out to is the Peace Development Fund, which uh, handles all of the donations for um, the Inside Out organization. So, uh, Jacques, I think what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to offer it to you first. What's your name again? Terrell Merritt. Terrell Merritt. So, I want to thank you very, very much for what you've managed to do and what you, the fire you went through and how you came out and what your life is about now. I want to thank you. Thank you. Do the same for him. <laughs> can you do it? Yes, I can. Yeah? <laughs> because I watched this man grow. I watched him become and I watched him become a peacemaker and I enjoyed watching your journey from everywhere you've been to who you are today and I'm going to present you with this award and then you do it to the fellow at the end been a pleasure watching you become the man that you are and just knowing that you've been going back inside the prisons and giving so much of yourself back to the community you are really appreciated and I just want to thank you and I want to present you with this award. thank you thank you Bernie um, perfect one I want to thank um, to watch you grow, guy, inside there, and you sat next to me, you were in my small group, to see you grow and become the person you are right now, and to hear the date you got, and you deserve to be out here, to see all the worth and value they have, teaches me that what Jock taught me is the fruits of my labors right here before me today, and that's what makes it special to me, and that's what keeps me invigorated and want to do the more continually all the time. I thank you for letting me be there for you. Our journey, you've done many more years than myself. I didn't know I just met you tonight, but you deserve this award, and so I present it to you. 
Josh, I just want to say thank you, man. I just want to say thank you so much, man, for um, opening my heart, my mind, my soul, and for giving me a new life and for uh, helping me to discover who I was born to be and for uh, just being my brother. All right. Love you, man. Spell that backwards. <laughs> Let me put this down for a sec. What a special way to do it, Gil. <laughs> so yeah, I want to thank this Sangha. Uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a ride for us to come here, um, but this has really sort of become our Sangha, you know, for this initiative. There's been a welcome open door from Gil from the get-go. It's been great for me to use the Dharma Talks as a forum to, am, uh, to amplify the voices of, of the guys and to hear you, the Dharma spit back in Richmond slang and you know, all kinds of different ways. So I, I really mean it. I, I want to thank everybody in the Sangha for choosing to be awake to an admittedly rather complex issue such as crime and justice. You know, there's a lot of opinion in this nation about it. And uh, there's a lot of vitriol in it as well, and there are a lot of revenge. So, so this is really special that you've chosen to stand up as a group and, and chose to see us. It's very special. And it feels great to be seen, doesn't it, guys? <laughs> so, so I want to thank you. And um, uh, I'm excited about who's here because I know these men's stories. So I don't want to speak for too long because I want you to hear from them a little bit. Um, but I want to say a little bit about the evolution of the programs. Other than, of course, that we doubled the amount of people served from 135 to 270, and we're intending on doubling that. And uh, it's going to take a lot of effort. Um, but it's also, and you, some of you may know, kind of a different time for prison reform and justice. The, the, there's a little window right now. So we intend to jump through that window. And, uh, and just when you think there's you know, challenge enough, there's new challenges, right? We had 494 guys on the waiting list, so we're starting to do intake interviews, right, me and my staff. And I sit across uh, a man... And I said, you seem a little older. I said, yeah. I said, where you come from? He said, Pelican Bay. I said, that's a SHU facility, right? S-H-U, meaning secure housing unit, meaning isolation cells. I said, how long were you in that cell? He said, 26 and a half years. And then I interviewed four more, two at 18 and one at 12. And part of me wanted to scream, you know, that we live in sunny, democratic California, and, and, and that's possible. Right, and I'm not romantic about what these guys have done. You know, I don't want to be naive about that. But that's quite extraordinary, don't you think so? And and that's our tax dollars. 
Uh, hunger strikes were organized by the prisoners around this four years ago. A suit came in, and the suit was settled, and they're starting to release these men into different prison yards. So then my next interview was with an 18-year-old who had 16 more years to do. And so there's been a, a new population of uh, isolation cell guys and youngsters from higher level security prisons. And so we, we wanted to do something to, to you know, because with the youngsters too, if, if, you, if you don't grab them with the program, the prison culture grabs them and, and then you lose a few decades right there. So we put in two extra classes, quite without budget, mind you, to uh, do three things. One is to invite these guys coming from isolation cells into our tribes. We run tribes, not programs. And a big part of the tribe is that it's kind of like a gang, except we flipped it, right, for constructive purposes instead of destructive purposes. The Native American Navajos say that in their language, they describe an offender as he or she who acts as if they have no relatives. He or she who acts as if they have no relatives. So we create the relatives, right? And then the third group was uh, Spanish-only speaking guys who you know, have very little rights. A lot of them are undocumented. And uh, rather than you know, build a wall, right? We're in voting season. <laughs> We're creating opportunities for people to deconstruct the walls inside themselves. And so it seemed really right to jump in, budget or no budget, and translate the material and have a Spanish-only class and hire a new Mexican facilitator. So we, we did that as well. So um, now we're uh, trying to raise the funds to actually pay for it. <laughs> um, so I think that's all I want to say at this point. Uh, and I'd like to share the mic a little bit with uh, some of my posse here and uh, hear from them, uh, you know, what it means for them to be here, to uh, be grip facilitators. And in Bernie's case, Bernie's been out for two weeks. And... Uh, just to introduce you into that story, I'm going to give the, the mic to uh, George here. Um, hello. Thank you for letting me be here again. I've spoke here twice before. This time in a different capacity. Is I'm, all, I'm actually a full-fledged consultant slash facilitator for the GRIP program now, and I'm very proud to say that. I'm also a full-time student at the college where I go to, and... Um, Bernie was in our group at um, Mule Creek, and I've watched him grow. i watched a lot of things happen in there. We even had a gentleman die in our class one day. We had some very powerful moments there. And um, I'm actually the guy coming back and doing the work from what Jock has taught me. Before he started the GRIP program, I met Jock in San Quentin, and I took all the other programs that he inspired me to, to get into. And I learned all these things, and I kept on wanting to learn. And... Um, but right before I got out, I got took into the shoe. I was two weeks going home, and they, the guy that did it, um, this one gentleman, hated Jock for Jock doing this kind of work with inmates, trying to change people's lives. 
hated me because I was one of those guys always talking, trying to rally people up and show them that you could change. You know, um, due, due to Jock's work, I was on Good Morning America. I did all these amazing things inside there to educate myself. But this guy hated me and hated Jock. So two weeks of going home, I'm ready to go home. I did nothing wrong. Something happened. He swoops me up, takes me to the whole secured housing unit, gives me a two-year shoe. I did nothing. When I went to my hearing, he turned off the tape, and he straight up told me, he goes, hey, remember all that grandstand you did for Verdon in there, all that stuff? He goes, how do you like me now? He found me guilty and gave me a two-year shoe. Now, my old, the old George would have been pissed, and I would have got mad and thrown the table at him and all that. But because of what Jacques taught me and I started learning that I can breathe and I can do other things to give back, I have a new thing I live by. I don't get mad, I get motivated. Someone's going to mess with me like that, I'm going to come back another way, in a stronger way, in a more positive way. And that's because I learned through Jacques. During that time, I went back to school and I started educating myself and learning. So not only am I a professional from being behind the wall, I got some things behind me with my education, so I am a professional on the other side. He invited me when he got the GRIP program going where he was going to get into other, other um, prisons. Of course, I jumped on right away. So I'd love to go in there and start giving back because that's what the program's about, healing, giving back, teaching. That's where I met Bernie on our, in Mill Creek. And um, one day he called, or he sent me a letter and said that he, he found suitable. I was ecstatic. Said that, you know, he found suitable for parole. He can come back and be, he's a peacemaker. And how he's, society can do, not worry about Bernie anymore. He's a good man. He's changed. He's learned what he had to do. He's paid his debt. So when I got the letter from asking, you know, Bernie's from a different area. He's not from here. I'm really not from this, from up here. I come for like two hours away. But he said, hey, I don't know anybody. You know, you're the only one I know. You're the one I'm close to. Would you be there for me? Of course I said I would do it in the letter. So I wrote him back and said, yes. You know, due to my schedule, call me. I mean, if I can do it, I'll even go pick you up. But I will be in Oakland to pick you up off that bus. Lo and behold, something happened. I'm working in the other prisons for Jacques. We graduated uh, uh, um, in Avenal and Mill Creek, and we just started going to another prison. Something happened. And due to my past, they were looking at me. And I kind of got that feeling like, look at all the good work I'm doing. I'm an honor student. I'm, I'm a senator at our school. I do all this good hard work to show that I've changed my life and I'm still getting that look. It's that look, people still not liking me for what I, what I am and what I'm trying to do and what, who I used to be. So anyway, I was getting to a point where I was like, screw them, they don't want me in there, I don't have to go there. I'm working where I'm doing good work, that's good enough for me. And Jock's in Europe at the time when this happened so I had to let him know what happened. And he said, George, just calm down, when I get back we'll work it out. And I was already in my mind thinking, because Jacques's not there to argue with me, <laughs> uh, you know, like, excuse me, I'm not going to, I'm going to stand on this one. But then something happened, the phone rang, and it was Bernie's counselor. He got a date out of nowhere, they were going to cut him loose. He didn't know what to do, and he goes, uh, the, the counselor asked, can he talk to me? Of course, he gets on the phone, he says, I don't know what to do, I'm just getting out. After all these years, you're the only one I know, would you pick me up there? It just so happened, I, I didn't have school that day. Or the next day, I said, I'm going to be there. I'll pick you up. And it was perfect timing because like I told them earlier and I said earlier, it invigorated me because I was at a time where I was letting one of those old guys like deter me from the way I should be thinking. And then Bernie came along and asked me, and I got the, to experience actually the fruits of my labor. I get to pick them up, watch everything, watch them rediscover you know, life, you know, our world out here again. It was so powerful to me. It pumped me up. 
soon as Jock got back, I told, let's get in there. Ain't nobody stopping. I don't care what they say about me. I'm going back in. You cannot stop me because of that. I know what I need to do. I know where my power comes from, and I want to do it. I found my voice, and I found my passion in life, and this is what I want to do. And it's to do things like this, to give back. You know, I told some friends, and I told my kids you know, what I did, and they're like looking at me like, you don't even know the guy. Why would you do it? He's a human. You know I mean, that's all it's about. That's all it's about. And um, I was telling someone earlier that um, I did a, 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 okay, I did a, a, a thing at Cal Poly one time. And somebody asked me why I became so violent when I came from a nonviolent movement. I grew up with Cesar Chavez in a nonviolent movement and how it became like this where I was so destructive for so many years. So, and it, it, it perplexed me. Why was it like that? But I found something out, though, is when I went and picked up Bernie. Is when I was a kid, I remember when the bad things I would do, my mom would give me that look crushed me beat me all day long but the look killed me but she also did something else when i did good it was that little kiss on the forehead and picking up bernie that day reinvigorated me and in my sleep i know she kisses me every night for the good work i'm doing giving back to society and trying to make a difference in all our lives to make it more safer for every one of you two out there and that's what the work is about and that's why grip is so good so when you give you give out of your heart i give everything i got I don't, need, I don't have money, but I would crawl. I would do it for free. I would do whatever I can to keep doing this kind of work because it, it invigorates me and it knows that I'm on the right path and I'm making a difference. Thank you. Good evening, and uh, I appreciate you all having me here. Uh, Jock inviting me to... Uh, be here in your presence. I don't know if I 100% deserve it or not. Uh, especially since there are so many guys behind there that have done so much more time than myself. Um, back in 1995, February 15th, on a Saturday, I uh, murdered my infant son. Out of a fit of uh, rage, resentments, and a lot of other things from my own childhood where I was tortured, beaten, pushed back and forth between my parents. So it was a lot of hurt that uh, I never dealt with. And I let those resentments reside within me. And my wife was uh, cheating on me. Um, she got pregnant by another man. And I thought I could take that. It was chilled twins all as my own, given my own name. And I was never able to deal with those pain. And I finally lashed out one evening and destroyed my whole world. Um, so through prison, when I was in prison, I uh, turned to more violence. I hid from everybody. I tried to hide who I was. I gave myself nicknames. I tried to fit in just to to survive in that environment. And I remember my very first counselor told me one of the hardest things that still stuck to me to this day. When I first saw him, I went in there, and I thought I could have a positive attitude with him. So he, he turned around, and I'm not going to say exact words, but he looked at me, he goes, uh, he goes, I got one thing to say to you, Mr. Gomes. And I said, sure, what's that? He goes, uh, how does it feel to murder your own son? And that devastated me. So I bottled everything up in many, many years. And uh, 
programs like Jocks came around, and I was able to share them feelings for the first time. I've never told people that I can never look at people and tell you my, my deepest shames, my sorrows. And to sit in front of you, people tonight, and open myself up to my biggest shame is scary. But I'm also finding it very honorable in it. And I just appreciate you all letting me sit there tonight and share this with you. I was found suitable for pro on June 2nd of this year. After many years of struggle, going through the board and sharing my stories and trying to hide who I was, they found me suitable. And that night was one of the most gratifying things that any of us could ever say. And it brought tears to my eyes. And I didn't know if I deserved it or not. Because like I said, there's many men behind them walls that have done many, many more years than myself that I felt are very deserving of a date. And when they finally told me I was going home, and this gentleman next to me, I called him and he said, I'll be there. The compassion that Jock has shown us, each of us men and shown each tribe, is beyond comparison. And with that, I'll hand it off. First of all, my name is Glenn, and I want to thank everybody here for allowing me to share my story with you. And uh, I don't really share it like I'm going to share it right now, but I'm, I feel like I want to be truthful with everybody. I went to prison in 1975 for a murder I didn't commit, but a lifestyle that I lived. And um, I stayed in there for 41 years. I was, I was 20 when I went, and I was 61 when I left. And um, I didn't, I was lost. I was, I, was, I was lost in the world. I was born in San Francisco. I lived in Hunters Point. We moved when I was about seven, eight years old, we moved to Oakland, and uh, I was kind of small, not kind of small, I was small, you know, <laughs> and I had a lot of issues going on with me. I didn't have no big, no older brothers, nothing like that, it was just me and my sister, and um, we was, it seemed like I was always being tested you know, to see if I can stand up, you know, be a man and all this stuff. And I went through kindergarten, which I found out through Jock, which caused all my problems, which I'm gonna get to. But um, at age eight, I went to jail for stealing a racing car set. And when I went to jail, it wasn't no help there for me. So nobody never knew what I was feeling and what I was going through, and I didn't know how to ask for help because I didn't know I needed help. I thought I was living a normal life because it's the only life I knew. And um, I started, I used to sit by myself in the classroom because I didn't know nobody and I didn't trust nobody, and I wasn't as smart as the rest of the kids, so I started acting up in school, and I got kicked out of school like about the third grade, and I never went back. Even though my parents and everybody tried to make me go back. 
Instead, I was going back and forth to jail. In 1975, a man was murdered and my car was supposed to be seen on the scene and it was like six, seven people that I ran with every day committing crimes with because I was a criminal and I was like probably the worst kind of criminal. And somebody used the car and committed a murder in it and I was arrested for it because it was my car. And uh, I was asked, uh, I was told that they knew I didn't do it, but they felt like I knew who did do it since it was my car. And uh, I went to prison and I stayed in prison for like 41 years and I didn't have anger because I didn't have enough sense to, to be angry. And in the 70s, prison was really, really, really extremely violent. And I was young and I didn't know no better. And uh, I got caught up and I started living a life that was even worse than I was living on the streets. I was living in prison. I was had to see psychiatrists, doctors, and everything else because they feel like something was wrong with me because I never used drugs. I never was an alcoholic. I was just a thief, you know, a petty thief. And um, so they figured there was something wrong with me. They took me, got me hypnotized, gave me, had a psychiatrist come in, try to hypnotize me and go in my mind and stuff. And none of that worked. I met Jock on an accident. I was walking, going to another group, and I walked in there, and he was sitting doing a, a, a what you call it, a, a interview for another class. And I, when I went in there, I asked him, I said, what is this class? He said, this is grip. I said, grip? I said, I never heard no grip. He said, yeah. He said, he said man, yeah, this is a new class. So I can get in. He said, you got to do an application. So I, I said, man, I can't even see. I ain't got my glasses. You know, he said, well, I'll fill it out for you. And this is when my life began to change. He filled it out. I did the grip program. And we had little subgroups inside the group where we had to sit. I was in a group called uh, 928. That was, 928 was the amount of time that everybody did that added up to the violence that led them to prison. And um, I got caught up in a, I started looking at my life, and I went back to my childhood, and I realized that I was so embarrassed and so ashamed of myself, and I had so much anger and so much frustration in myself that I didn't even know was existed because I, the, 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 the traumas and stuff I had to experience in school, my trauma didn't come from the house or the home. It came from my peers. And I feel like I had to live up to their expectations. And so I started running the streets, started doing robberies and burglaries and, you know, trying to be cool, trying to fit in. And um, I explained that to Jock and he told me to write it all out. I wrote it out and it started making sense to me. I started understanding it. And the more I did it, the more it helped me to become a better person. And um, I started doing the tra the uh, the mindful meditation, and when I, after I cleaned my soul and everything, set in the fire and got my clothes and myself straightened out and stuff, I was able to understand and see life differently. So when I meditated, I was able to really be at peace with myself because I became free from within before I was able to be free on the outside. I had to free myself from within, and I found myself 
pas ma soeur going to school, apparently got a GED, apparently got some trades up under me, and I was never ever supposed to get out of prison. But when I went to the board the last time in 2016, I've been home for five months. And uh, in 2016, when I went to the board, I knew I was going home. I never in my life felt like that. And since being home, I have been more freer than I have ever been in my entire life. I have been living a life of so much pleasure and so much freedom. And I'm talking about just to, just to be able to take the simplest things, like hearing a bird whistle from a tree or a squirrel jumping from another tree to another tree or seeing a fish jump in the water or just seeing a car drive down the street or just looking around this room and seeing all the different people with different colors on, different shade, because for 41 years, all I seen was blue, green, and gray, <laughs> you know? <laughs> now I see all the other colors, and it fascinates me, you know? It, it makes me know that I'm alive, you know? It makes me know that, you know, that nothing on this earth really is mine, but everything, we all is one. We all is human. We all experience, and we all go through pain. We all go through suffering and stuff. And when I lost everything in my life that meant something to me, my mother, my sister, my grandmother, everything that was close to my heart, when I lost all that, that's when my life began to change. And um, I, I really don't know what I'm trying to say, but I'm just trying to say I'm happy right now, you know? <laughs> I'm, ha I'm happy and I'm full of joy. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Bernard Moss. Um, in 1988, I went to the home of my mother's godson. He's my godbrother. And I went over to collect a drug debt, which he didn't have at the time. And I foolishly shot him four times. I was sentenced to seven years to life in prison for attempted murder. Um, and that's when my journey began. I arrived at San Quentin in 2002, and I met this man here, my mentor, Jock Verdin. Jock, uh, he really changed my life. I, um, at first, I didn't want to bite into it. I didn't, I, I, you know, he threw the hook out there, and I was a little fish that wouldn't bite. Um, I used to kind of try to tell him that, Jock, you know, I really don't want to hear this cycle babble. You, you know, <laughs> tell it to the other guys. I'm just here to get my chronos and and do my program, and that's it. But um, <clears throat> Jock always stood behind me. He always knew that there was something more behind me, and, and he was always there for me. In 2009, I went to the Adjustment Center at San Quentin, which is the shoe pro also like the shoe program. And I was under investigation for uh, selling narcotics and over-familiarity with staff at San Quentin, and they also had taken my little brother to the hole. So we sat in the, in the hole for seven to nine months. My brother was shipped off. He was validated as a gang member and shipped off the Pelican Bay Shoe Program. I fought, and for some reason, I was found not guilty. So I came out of the adjustment center in 2009, and 
every group that I was in really didn't want me there anymore. So I said, well, let me go see if I can go back to Jock's group. <laughs> Jock wel welcomed me back with open arms. So he started, he was going through this anger management type of curriculum with some guys and was training some guys, and so I, I became interested in it. And so they started bringing it back to the group we had at the time, which was Catargio. And Catargio is Greek for putting away the things which bind you. So these guys started coming in from the anger management group, and they were talking about um, stopping your violence, doing no harm, developing emotional intelligence, cultivating mindfulness, and understanding the impact that you have on your victims. And I said, okay, this kind of, sounds kind of interesting. So that little hook was out there, and I kind of started to nibble on it a little bit. And uh, pretty soon, Jack had me. I bit. So um, I went through the very first GRIP curriculum in 2012. 2012, we graduated. Uh, he asked me to become a facilitator after that to do the training. So I started training. And uh, that group that you saw in the film, 662, I facilitated that group. And uh, it, it was a pleasure. It, it, it gave me so much joy to be able to go into a room full of men and be able to give back what this man gave me. You know, and, and it was just so much joy in that. And, and I so look forward to doing that in other prisons with other men who have been through the same struggles that I've been through. And Gil, Gil talked earlier about original pain and when he went in and he, he saw, saw the exercise about original pain. Well, Jock helped me work through my original pain and I came to realize that I had trust issues. I didn't trust anybody. And sooner or later, whoever you were, you were going to betray me. So I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to trust. I didn't know how to like. I didn't even trust myself. And so after working with Jock, and I, start, I started to realize, okay, I can love myself. You know, so once I was able to love myself, I was able to love other people. I was able to love my wife, Marissa, who's here today, and I, I got married in 2014. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I embraced this curriculum, and in April of 2016, I went before the Board of Prison Terms, and I was found suitable for release. Um, my journey was a little different from everybody. Most people wait 150 days before they release them after being found suitable. I went to board April the 8th. In June, my counselor called me into her office and told me that I was going home on June 22nd. And I couldn't believe it, so I called and started trying to get everything together. After how many years? 27 years. 10 months and 15 days. She figured that out, <laughs> not me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and, and it's been a joy to just be out in the world and to have these tools. I have so many tools now that I, I can sit with so many different emotions and so many feelings, and I can understand stuff I never understood my body was going through or my mind, you know, I'm able to understand all these things now. Um, to understand the pain that I cause other people. 
I'm, under, I'm able to fully understand that now. And I'm able to, to, to look at you in your eyes and to say I'm sorry for the pain that I may have caused or anyone else in, in society may have caused you. Okay, um, men out here, there are a lot of us who don't understand the pain that we cause and we go through these cycles and we go through life and we continuously, continuously hurt people. And there's a saying, hurt people hurt people. And we, we being hurt people, that's all we knew how to do. We knew how to hurt other people. And with the help of Jock and the GRIP program, GRIP stands for Guiding Rage and the Power, I'm a powerful man now. And, and I, I'm, a, I'm a, a change agent and I'm out to help and, and just create peace in the world. And that's my goal in life. And I just want an opportunity to go into the prisons and to go help other men because there are so many men in prison today who need this program. And once they get it, it's, it's going to change their lives. I guarantee you it will change their lives. So um, I just want to thank everybody here tonight for having us and for welcoming us with open arms. We appreciate it. And just thank you for taking the time to listen to me tonight. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Terrell Merritt. And in 1995, in a fit of rage, I murdered Cassandra Stewart. And at that time, I didn't know how to deal with the things that I felt. And so in my anger, I lashed out and I hurt somebody else. And I live with that every day. And I didn't know how to deal with it. Because how do you get over taking something that you can't give back? Over the years, while I was in prison, I told myself that I would never again react out of anger. But that wasn't the case. And then I ran into the GRIP program. Wait, I'll go back a little bit. I started doing yoga. And in yoga, I met Jock. And one day he told me about his mindfulness class. And so I started going to the mindfulness meditation group. And during that time, he told me about GRIP. And I was like, okay, I want to be a part of it. But there was a list. And he was like, I don't know if it's going to be room or not. And so believing that I could make it, I started clearing out the things that I was doing at that time because I was like, I got to be in this class. I need this. And then one day I just walked up to him and said, look, am I going to be in there or not? I really need to be in this class. And I've cleared my schedule, but there's things that I can be doing, but I want to do this so bad. Can I, can I get an answer? It's like, okay, I, I got you. And I sat in that class, and I heard about what Bernard was talking about, the heal people, heal people, the hurt people, hurt people. And I was like, hmm. I didn't quite buy into it, but I heard it. And then I started thinking about it. 
by you know because as a child growing up your circumstances seem normal to you you don't see that what you're going through is different than anybody else's you think that that's what's supposed to happen and at some point in the grip program i realized that no that wasn't supposed to happen and that those things caused trauma in my life and by not dealing with those traumas, I was recreating them in my life over and over and over again. Because one thing about pain, emotional pain, if you don't face it, you will recreate it in other forms all throughout your life. And I had to learn where my violence came from. Where did I learn violence? And where did I believe, where did I start believing that it was okay? And once I got to that point in my life, I learned how to break that cycle. I learned how to pick up a different belief system. And also, I learned mindfulness. I learned how to think about what, what I was feeling. I learned how to connect with myself. So... In GRIP, they teach you the SETA, S-E-T-A, sensations, emotions, thoughts, and actions. And for me, that was huge because I started learning, like, the stages of how I got to that angry point or that point where I, where I, could, I felt it was okay to be violent. And once I learned those stages, I could see it coming. And I could choose not to do it. And that was something that I got from the GRIP program. And when I graduated, after a year, I stuck to it for that whole year. And I ended up buying all the way into it. And I ended up realizing that, hey, this is something that I want to continue with for the rest of my life. And I was like, Jock, how do I get on board with being a facilitator? You know, because at first there were only a few facilitators, but as the group, as the, as the program expanded, there was a need for, for new facilitators in, in the program. And I was like, I can clear some room for that. <laughs> yeah. Because not only did I, did I learn it, but to incorporate something, you have to practice it. And I felt the best way to practice it was to learn how to teach it. And in teaching it, giving it away, you strengthen yours. And going through the program and being a facilitator was one of the best decisions I made in prison because it taught me how to, I learned how to walk the line in prison where things constantly come your way and you're upset and not be so upset. How to realize, well, this is what's going on with me. So if this is what's going on with me and I know where I'm at, now I can start to focus on what's going on with the person that I'm in conflict with. And so it became also my conflict resolution tool. And then one, one day I went to the board of prison terms and just like the rest of these men, I was found suitable. I was kind of in shock myself, you know, because for, 
for about maybe 17 of those 20, 21 years I was in prison, I never thought I would ever get out. And not only did I never think I would get out, I didn't even feel I deserved to get out. And now I'm here. And with the, pot, with the opportunity to go back into prisons and teach. And I enjoyed it a lot while I was in there. I just missed being able to see the last grip, the grip tribe that I had facilitate graduate. I was this close to being able to see them. And I was, I was so overjoyed to be able to go and see those guys because I walked with them through their walk that whole time. And it was kind of sad not to be able to go, but I was still proud because I know they made it. And they became peacemakers. And that's what this program is. It keeps creating peacemakers, guys that take what they learn and move into the next phase. And it's not just something that they have inside of them. They pass it on in ways they don't even realize. One day they may be walking down a tear and somebody says something to them wrong. And instead of them getting upset, they stop. And that's an acronym in GRIP. To stop, to observe, and process. They stop. Whereas in the past, they might have decided that, hey, I feel disrespected. I'm going to do something about this. And that something would be negative. But instead, they didn't react. They learned to respond. And that's the difference. They didn't just have a blind flash out. They thought about how they were going to approach the situation and what they needed. And they learned that in grip. And in turn, by dealing with that person in that way, that person gained something. Because instead of that person ending up in a situation that could have hurt them in the long run, they were dealt with in a way in which they appreciated, but in which they learned something at the same time that you don't have to be violent to be strong, that sometimes vulnerability is a sign of strength. And that's... <laughs> that was years ago. Huh? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, and being able to go back into prisons for me, to, to see that again, that's amazing, you know. I can't wait for that opportunity to be able to see that and do that and watch other men grow just like I've grown. And it's helped me in my personal life since I've been out, dealing with my girlfriend, dealing with my family. On my way here, my nephew called me, and he's in prison. And I'm talking to him, and they were, he's on lockdown, and he's stressing about his family situation as far as with his, his significant other and his daughter. And I was able to stop and talk to him in a way in which. He's in the back of the car right now. <laughs> yeah. And then when we stopped, that same nephew who's in prison, his mother called me. <laughs> and so she and I are talking. And, and our irony of it officer. is that she's a correctional officer. <laughs> and I'm talking to her not only about her relationship with her son, but with her relationship with her significant other. And it just, this thing keeps giving. It keeps growing. And it's, it's men learning to be change agents, to bring something into the world in which they didn't have at the time. And now they can take 
that stigma in which they had and turn it into something that's good. And they can go from being someone who takes from society to someone that's being a servant to society. And with that, I think I'll close now. I'm taking up too much time. Thank you. Some uh, <clears throat> tokens of appreciation for our guests tonight. Moving program and that thing. You, what is it you said? The, the four letters with the mind, body. Yeah. Well, you can tell that you guys got to me, and so my body is not working. All right. Now you have a choice between this, and I'm not. It's a candle, right? That's a candle or a heart, which whatever you would like. Can you use All right. No, I can't. <laughs> Would you like a Thank heart you. or a candle? I would love a candle. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. Are we including Jacques as well? Heart or a candle? Okay. And now we're out of candles, right? So you have to have a heart. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Okay. And a heart. Thank you. So this has been an absolutely wonderful, inspiring, and moving evening for everybody. I am, I'm no longer skeptical. <laughs> you guys got me. <laughs> So um, let's do a round of applause for the people that put this together and for our guests and all the good that they're doing. Please stick around. There is a cake and some sweet things, and you have an opportunity to talk with these people individually or to any of the volunteers you saw standing up. So uh, please stay. So round of applause.